0: Welcome to Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America, I'm David Hilgen. Today's podcast focuses on social inflation and the need for tort reform and features a special guest host, Adam Kearns from Zurich's government and regulatory relations team. Adam is joined by his Zurich colleagues, Lynn Grinzel and Alan Kirsch. They had a robust discussion about the issue and its impact on businesses and society in general i hope you'll find the conversation as as enlightening as i did enjoy welcome my name is adam kearns as a follow-up to our podcast about the same topic in may of last year we're going to provide an update on the issue of social inflation describe how it affects us all and discuss what we can do about it we are speaking today with lynn grinzel and alan kirsch lynn avp state affairs on the government and regulatory relations team has been with Zurich for over seven years. Grinzel has more than 30 years of insurance experience and has held several government relations and regulatory attorney roles. First for the health insurance industry, and then another major property and casualty insurer. Her responsibilities include connecting Zurich to key legislative and regulatory stakeholders and advocating Zurich's position on this issue and others facing the industry today. Alan Kirsch, SVP and Head of Claims Judicial and Legislative Affairs, has been with Zurich since 2002 and has served as the Head of Claims Staff Legal since August 2019. Prior to that, he held numerous leadership positions in claims administration and operations, claims quality assurance, and strategic planning. He also served as the Claims Chief of Staff responsible for development and execution of claims priorities. Alan recently began his new position to focus on the issue of social inflation. Thank you to Lynn and Alan, and welcome to today's podcast. Thanks for having us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us, Adam.
0: Alan, what exactly is social inflation? It almost sounds like a way to make yourself socially popular. While that isn't (laughs) true, what does it mean, and why should we all care?
2: When I talk to people and say that I work on social inflation. I think they're not really quite sure what to make it. Uh, I think they think it's social media, which it could be in part. But social inflation is a term that's been around actually for a while. Uh, Interestingly, Warren Buffett first coined the phrase back in 1978. He had these famous investor letters that he would send out and he spoke of this term social inflation and no one had seen it before. And he defined it as at least his perception of the broadening expectations of jurors and the community at large in terms of what insurance should cover. So sort of similar in a way to what we're seeing now, but. The term in the last several years has taken on a very important and definite meaning. And in essence, social inflation refers to the ever-increasing loss costs that we've seen in claims, uh, mostly on the liability-based claims, over and above what one would expect or what normal inflation rates would be. Uh, So really by some recent data points that I've seen, the amounts for social inflation are five to six times what we're seeing in terms of economic inflation and that includes of course 2021 and we've seen some large years in terms of economic inflation so it's a significant topic without a doubt
0: thank you and so now that we kind of have a base of what social inflation means um, why don't we hear from lynn to talk a little bit more specifically about uh, the issue from the state's perspective
1: thanks adam Um, To add on to what Alan said, uh, the legislative and regulatory environments have changed over the years. Reforms instituted in some jurisdictions have eroded. And so they no longer just provide relief to injured parties for harms caused by others. So take Florida, for example. Many have used the laws in place to game the system. Bad faith and multiplying attorney fees are just two examples. Attempts to reform those areas of the law have merely created new standards that contain new and onerous duties for insurers, and those duties would have created claims process exceedingly difficult and more costly to perform. We want to create a level playing field for all parties and have a legal system that compensates real injuries and resolve real disputes.
0: You specifically just talked about Florida, but we can see this all over the country. And it's not just related to Florida, is it?
1: Absolutely not. Um, We're seeing this all across the country. Some states are stepping up to the plate and passing uh, laws that actually reform the legal system. And some states are still behind and um, we're reacting and trying to make sure that those bill introductions uh, don't get through the legislature. So it varies from state to state, but it certainly is across the country.
2: And Adam, right. if I can just add to that, if you sure. don't mind, because you asked yeah, about no the importance of this, of course, and and while there are certain states, and Lynn is absolutely right, where the laws create very um, unlevel playing fields, I would call it, I think that's the good term, uh, we see the impact of social inflation across the entire United States. So in terms of these increased loss costs. And why I think it's so important that people really understand this and get involved with this is that what happens when loss costs are up, the insurance premiums go up as well. They have to so in order just to even cover what these increased costs are. And, you know, businesses in turn will spread that those increases on to the consumers. And so when I think about this issue I know it's real focused on the insurance industry, but it's really all consumers should really be aware of this and understand how it's adding to the increased cost for goods and services just across the entire spectrum. Um, you know, one area in particular is trucking, right? So trucking tends to lend itself to what we call nuclear verdicts. Nuclear verdicts we define generally as jury verdicts in excess of $10 million, But the trucking industry tends to have more of these, I think, in part because jurors have sort of a natural fear of trucks on the road. We've all been on the road and we've sort of white-knuckled the steering wheel. And, you know, it can be a little scary. And this really just feeds directly into plaintiff's theories around creating fear and anger in the jury and using that fear and anger to drive larger and larger verdicts. So, you know, trucking is an area that affects industry across the globe, right? I mean, we're seeing it now coming out of the pandemic that difficulty with the supply chain is you know adding to the difficulty of having certain goods in the stores and just the difficulty of getting other materials so you know it's really affecting all the consumers not only in increased prices for goods and services but um specifically as to the trucking industry making it more difficult for the supply chain to really work the way it's supposed to
0: thanks for that alan and now that we understand kind of the basics of inflation and and talk a little bit about some of the drivers maybe we can dig a little bit deeper into um, what else is driving the phenomenon and then kind of talk about some of the tactics that are used to inflate the costs that affect us all. So why don't we first turn to Alan to talk about that?
2: Sure, thanks, Adam so there are a number of drivers with social inflation and i would say there are some that are more controllable than others so ones that i know that we've heard before and talk about is sort of the the general perception in the public of the value of a dollar right i mean i could tell you as a trial attorney years ago plaintiffs attorneys would never ask the jury for millions and millions of dollars for fear of really turning off the jury and have them being offended by that but these days The plaintiff's attorneys ask jurors all the time, right, from the very beginning of the jury trial for millions and millions of dollars, a tactic called anchoring, getting them comfortable and familiar with those large numbers. And the public at large is more comfortable with those. They've seen social media influencers making, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. They see athletes, of course, and CEO pay going up significantly, right? So, So these numbers are out there and people, number one, are more comfortable with that. But I think in terms of tactics, I would say the plaintiff's attorney's tactics um, at trial are the ones that are really driving these larger and larger verdicts. So, as I mentioned before, using fear, using anger as a tool to get people to award larger and larger verdicts has been very effective by the plaintiff's bar. I have to say they've been very well organized. Um, They share information readily. The defense side, not so much. We have not been able, for whatever reason, as insurance carriers, as the broker community, as defense counsel, to share some of those tactics that work against that. Um, I would say that tide is turning. And, you know, I know that we've tried to share with our defense counsel other tactics to combat this. Part of it is an education campaign, educating our attorneys, of course, educating our customers, the businesses that we represent and as well as educating the judge who's trying the case. And what Lynn spoke about before in terms of the legislative front was how we can educate legislators so that they understand what topics are out there, what what tactics the plaintiffs are using, and getting them to understand the importance mm-hmm. of this level playing field. Um, I've had attorneys actually in Florida, as Lynn mentioned, who have been trying cases and they feel it's like they're trying the case with one arm tied behind their back because of the specific jurisdictional laws that allow plaintiffs to present to the jury evidence of damages that don't really exist. Uh, We call them phantom damages. Um, So really getting the legislator to change is one of the tactics that we can use to combat some of this, and Florida is a good example of that. Litigation funding is one of the drivers that's out there, litigation funding being third parties that invest in litigation, essentially. And there are definitely times when that's probably a good thing, Uh, But what happens now is it's mostly unregulated. So a lot of these companies um, are opportunistically looking for uh, very large interest rates on the money they are loaning to the to the plaintiffs in those cases. Um, So, you know, they're really complicating when we try to resolve case or even if we come to an agreement on what the value of the case is, sometimes the lit funder is owed so much in interest that the plaintiff, the person who was actually injured, gets a smaller share of that. And that's just not right and not fair. So, you know, we've been actively looking and lobbying. Lynn and her team have done a, a fantastic job in conjunction with our trade associations and some others to really get legislators to focus on this so they could regulate it appropriately and that the consumer or the plaintiff is protected in that way. Um, you know, the, the last real driver is overall, I would say, the legal landscape. There are certain jurisdictions where it's just it's not a level playing field and it makes it very difficult to try to resolve claims as a result of that. So, you know, really building a coalition, you know, Adam mentioned my job, uh, relatively new position that I'm in, uh, specifically claims judicial and legislative affairs. So, you know, really focusing on the claim community out there, our competitors, the broker community, and even working with our customers, letting them know what these laws are all about and what we can do to lobby against them to get the legislators to understand our position and hopefully pass a legislative agenda that um, takes into account the business perspective on things. So, So that's what we're actively trying to do.
0: So, Alan, you mentioned phantom damages. Can you just take a minute to describe to our listeners what phantom damages
2: are? Sure. So if you think of the damages in a personal injury matter, very often we have past and future medical expenses and so with past medical expenses typically you go to the doctor maybe there's a hospital visit you know typically that gets billed to your insurance company and the insurance companies have agreements with these medical providers in terms of how much they cover and what they'll pay given the treatment and whatnot. So, and the the doctors will typically accept that amount in payment. So when we talk about phantom damages, there are some jurisdictions where the court allows the plaintiff to show the jury the amount of the full hospital bill, let's say. And if anyone unfortunately has seen one of those, they typically to be extremely high. And the insurance payment or what they have agreed to accept is usually a lot less than that, sometimes less than half um, of what was actually billed. But in these trials, so the plaintiffs will put up the amount of the full hospital bill. And we as the defense are not allowed to cross-examine or say that the medical provider actually agreed to take This amount, and that's the amount that they should get paid back, right? So it's phantom damages because conceivably the plaintiff gets that windfall between the actual billed amount and the amount that the medical provider accepted. Thank you. Is there a specific
0: case that you can talk about where you see maybe these tactics really would have increased the overall cost? in the case.
2: Yeah, I do. Actually, there's there. It's actually two cases. Um, It's kind of interesting. This is in Florida. This didn't involve Zurich or any of uh, the attorneys who worked for me at the time but we were aware of a case. It arose out of a, a pretty straightforward auto accident. Unfortunately, many of us have, you know, been in that on one side or the others, but this thankfully was a fairly minor car accident. There were soft tissue injuries to the plaintiff. There was a couple of passengers. So one of the passengers was a plaintiff, again, chiropractic treatment, soft tissue, maybe missed a couple of days of work. I mean, a pretty straightforward kind of case and one that we should be able to resolve, but this one was not resolved. Um, It did go to trial and the case, you know, really hinged on all the the medical and there really wasn't that much of it. Um, So a case that we would probably value somewhere in the 50 to $75,000 range, actually the jury verdict came down at $6.6 million. Oh, very significant case. The uh, plaintiff's attorney in that case did use what we call the reptile theory, which is essentially trying to get the jury to have a sense of fear that this could happen to them and they need to send a message and things like that. Uh, But what's interesting about this case is another passenger also sued, and their jury trial was several months later, but their defense attorney sat in on that first trial. So they were able to see the tactics, prepare for them, change their strategy. So when that case was tried, same fact pattern, very similar injuries, the verdict was much more reasonable and in the approximately sixty dollars or $70,000 range, which is where we would have evaluated the case. So um, kind of an interesting scenario, but I think it does bring home the point that you know these tactics do work, and on top of that... You know, having the defense attorneys aware of the tactics and what they're you know responding to that and having the proper strategy does make a difference. So kind of an interesting fact pattern, but I think it it makes my point.
0: Yeah, I think it really helps to kind of put you know an actual example out there so people can see how this works in real time. So thanks for that so why don't we turn to lynn um, to talk a little bit about some of the specifics that alan mentioned some of the work that lynn and others are doing like on the ground in the states to educate the lawmakers and to try to create more of a level playing field so uh, lynn if you could just get a little bit more into that give us some examples that would be great
1: sure thank you um and i'm just reminded too of the conversation that Alan just had about juries. And I think we all have to remember that the jury is made up of uh, different types of people. And uh, we have learned over the years that the younger generation tends to believe that someone was hurt tragically and that someone should pay. And I think that, uh, you know, juries respond to that kind of thing. And and that's why we're seeing a lot of nuclear verdicts as well. I would say that many states across the country have laws or rules that make it easier for juries to award those nuclear verdicts. Um, So the government and regulatory relations team here at Zurich reacts and opposes legislation that the plaintiff's bar tries to put in motion, but we also try to enact legislation that would change the laws to ultimately lower the costs of litigation. So, you know, various topics, um, Uh, You know, I can think off off the top of my head, those include um, damage caps, lowering pre and post-judgment interest, bad faith reform, third-party litigation funding, and lawyer advertising.
0: So, Lynn, you mentioned lawyer advertising. Can you just talk a little bit about why that creates a problem or why that might be another driver of social inflation?
1: Sure, Adam. So we've all seen the advertising on TV, and I know that I personally have my favorites. Um, (laughs) uh, But (laughs) what that does is, is that you have all these lawyers, depending on the region, and they are telling people who are watching the ads that they can make them lots of money, that they're injured in any way, that they can get them a settlement, and that they're gonna make it right, and they're gonna make them whole. I think what they mean is that they're going to make them more than whole, (laughs) and that is what the advertising implies. Uh, And so generally, you're going to have more people suing to get the money that they have been promised through this ad, and I think that's one of the reasons that lawyer advertising is such a driver for these issues. Thank you. So our goal is to educate policymakers about the impacts. Uh, these types of bills and introductions are going to have to their constituents. And and that could be either bad or good legislation. Uh, You know, some of the legislation that we try to enact actually is going to save money um, for their constituents. And and then obviously there's other legislation that is going to um, cost their constituents more. So um, nobody wants to pay more, you know, no matter how you look at it. And so whatever we can do to educate, Um, to explain, uh, to, um, you know, tell our story, I think that is just a good thing and makes the legislative process that much better.
0: Thank you, Lynn. Kind of just to touch on one thing that you mentioned about claims, and I'm going to turn to Alan, given his background in the claims arena. Maybe you could talk a little bit, Alan. I know you mentioned that we have been seeing increasingly higher claims costs. But does that necessarily affect what the person takes home as opposed to just added cost to the entire system without any perceived benefits necessarily?
2: Yeah, that's a really great point, Adam. I mean, especially when it comes to litigation funding, because these agreements that the plaintiff signed include such onerous terms for interest, uh, very often that by the time the case Gets to resolution could be a year, two years down the road. Um, they have to the plaintiff, of course, has to pay back the amount that was borrowed, but they also have to pay back the interest on that. And we've seen cases where that's anywhere from 50 to even sometimes 100% interest. Um, these contracts are not generally regulated. Uh, normally, those interest rates would be too high; they'd be considered something called usury, uh, which is illegal, I believe, in all states. But um, because they're not subject to the usury laws, they're able to get away with that. And so in the end of the day, you know, these increased costs ends up going either to litigation funders. Uh, sometimes they'll strike a deal with certain treating physicians, so they'll get paid for their services. So in the end of the day, yeah, it's it's a great point. It's very often a lot of these plaintiffs aren't even getting. The more money that we're putting out there, it's going to these other third parties, including their lawyers. I mean, the lawyers are charging higher and higher percentages to take on these kinds of cases. So by the time you know the attorney's fees come off the top, the other fees and expenses, any litigation funding, any medical liens, things like that, I've seen a few studies where it shows the plaintiffs are either getting the same amount or even less than they were getting before. So that's the shame of it, right? The dollars should be going to these individuals who are the ones who have been injured. Um, You know, our whole system of civil justice is set up to make people whole and that's what it's always been. And so with a lot of these tactics, it's gone way beyond that. And so here we have situations where some of the plaintiffs aren't even been able to made whole because of all these additional expenses and fees and costs that are out there. So yeah, it's a great question, Adam. I'm glad you brought it up.
0: Great. So now that we kind of talked about the drivers of social in place and what it is, and a little bit about what we've been doing here at Zurich and some of the work um, on the ground in the States, you know, kind of finish it out. What can we all do moving forward? What can others do that are listening that see, um, you know, some opportunities To get involved. Alan, if you want to start, given the work that you've been doing
2: here at Zurich, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there is power in numbers, is the simple statement. Um, You know, Lynn and her team do a fantastic job um, on the legislative front. You know, there's other uh, PNC carriers who do the same thing, uh, as do brokers and some of our larger customers as well uh, work on these issues. And, they continue to do so, and what my role is is: can we build a coalition? Can we collaborate on these things? Share the information that we have, share the stories that we have, because they're very powerful, and and work together to really move the needle out there. Um, everybody kind of doing their own thing and their own pace um, hasn't resulted in a lot of change out there. There's still, you know, many of these jurisdictions who, that are. Quite frankly even getting worse right so building a coalition getting people engaged in the issue working with their elected representatives on tort reform generally that's what we call this tort reform issues so you know the things that lynn had talked about um, are all really important damage caps where appropriate um, you know regulation of litigation funding Extremely important as well. Uh, Apportioning liability in a fair way so that the people who are responsible for an injury or an accident are the ones who have to pay. So, all of those, you know, sort of common sense. Um, fairness uh, legislation out there is something that we ask all people to support. Um, we have been building this coalition, so working with, quite frankly, our competitors to make sure that we're you know, all working on the same issue in the same jurisdiction. We tell each other when we see legislation pop up. We work with a number of trade associations, fantastic ones, that really do their best to get alignment in the insurance industry and understand what's out there. Um, so that we can collectively combat really what the plaintiff's attorneys are doing. I've said this before. Many people have the the plaintiff's bar, right, the group of plaintiff's attorneys that are out there, extremely well-funded, extremely well-organized to their credit, and so we on the other side have to be equally as organized and together in terms of our efforts to really move the needle and make a difference so yeah i would say you know anybody listening get involved with these issues understand the issues in your jurisdiction um, understand certain fairness doctrines that are important just to as we've said a few times here level the playing field Um, we just want a you know a fair shake to be able to present our side of the case and do it in a fair and equitable way and so that the plaintiff in the case where there is liability yeah, uh, and they're entitled to damages that they get fair damages that can do our best to make them whole again.
1: Let me add on to that, uh, Adam, if I can. Sure. I think the most important part of this whole discussion is that without fail, almost every organization that we're working with that Alan has talked about, we're all on the same page, and that is not often the case. You know, we uh, as lobbyists, as government relations people, you know, there's many topics that we work on and not everybody's on the same page. We don't all do our business the same way. So we might have different views on what legislation should be passed, what legislation should not be passed. But everyone that we work with has the same opinion on tort reform issues. And I think that's one of the reasons why Alan and I have started working together with with our competitors with civil justice associations, with other trade associations to get together to come up with a way that we can all focus on the same issues and in the same places, the same states. I think it's been a remarkable journey. Um, We've all gotten together. We've worked together. We're coming up with new model laws and new model bills that we can actually introduce in the states. And just having that collaborative effort um, really makes a difference. And I would also just say that for government relations people out there that work with your claims department, you know, work with someone like Alan and his team to get the stories so that our efforts are more organized, make more sense, and and really make a difference.
0: Well, I want to thank our guests today, Lynn Grenzel and Alan Kirsch, for taking the time to speak with us. And thanks for listening to the Future of Risk podcast. I'm Adam Kearns. Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a comment or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let us know what you think at media at zurichna.com and join us next week.